When it comes to hard work, there's one important rule. Pick the right tool for the right job. That's why Chevy offers a family of Silverado pickup trucks designed just for the job. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends ever since. And we had fun in our 20s as wingwomen for each other. And in our 30s, we got married. Then we had babies within weeks of each other. Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had, parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other average parents. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have. (laughs) So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Apparently, being a helicopter parent isn't so bad. What? What? <laughs> I know, after all that we've talked about in terms of helicoptering. Yes. Yeah, so, so new research shows hyper-involved parenting is the route to kids' success in today's unequal world. So the research comes from a, a book called Love, Money, and Parenting, How Economics Explains the Way We Raise Our Kids. It's by two economists, uh, Matthias Dupke of Northwestern University um, and Fabrizio Zilibotti of Yale. Nice I, job. I took Italian. Um, <laughs> Um, so they say stimulating academic success and managing multiple activities for our kids may be a huge pain, as we know. Yes. But when done right, it works. And not just in the U.S., but in other wealthy countries around the world. This book is totally interesting because there's so many, you know, you go to the bookstore and there's all these parenting books. It's like how to and like about the different types of parenting styles. But this is actually like looking at it forensically from from a different standpoint, to a different point of view through economics. It was beyond interesting to me um, to hear how we are shaped and what the, how the system is It's not our us. fault. Yeah. It's not my fault. <laughs> right. no, it's because I'm in this society. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we are blameless. Uh-huh. Um, all right. So for people who haven't listened to us much, um, we've talked in previous episodes about our kids' activities. Um, and, you know, I, in our last, oh my gosh. in our episode about overscheduled kids, I vowed to stop overscheduling them and since then i've added two or three more activities for real for real so your google calendar is bigger now huh there are more color codes and stuff yes oh and what i showed you have you learned nothing (laughs) nothing's really changed but for me it's uh it's still boy scouts dance play practice soccer basketball voice lessons i think that's Currently, that's for right now. Okay, I'm going to go through. <clears throat> we, my kids, two kids though. So um, let me sit down. Yeah, okay, exactly. <clears throat> Lean back. Um, Girl Scouts theater, School of Rock, which is guitar and bass, piano, voice lessons, soccer, ballet, volleyball, softball, guitar club, religious education, ballroom dancing, tutoring for test prep, and a new storytelling school that I'm helping to run. I don't, I don't know how it's physically possible. Do you like get horizontal at night and you just <clears throat> like you're done? 
Yes. You turn off like a computer? I, tr- I try to, but in the morning when I wake up, like I start sort of buzzing, you know? Um, really? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's weird because we talked with Lisa Damore about putting slack in the system. Yeah. And just last week I had a moment where there was not enough slack in the system and I was like, ugh. You didn't account for that hiccup in the, right. the routine? Right. So, yeah. um, but I'll tell you what. So I talked to Hannah, my 10 year old, and she's, cause she was looking over my shoulder as I was making notes and she said, well, we don't mind it. We don't mind being overprogrammed. She said, we, we like the activities we do. And I said, I know. That's why I keep letting you do them. But they they really are interested in all these things. So until they stop being interested, I'm probably going to continue to indulge them. But, but would they be interested in, in just chilling out too? Sometimes they say that, yes. But then yeah. when they do chill out, they say they're bored. Be bored. We talked about that too. I know, I know. Well, so this new this new research, like... It should validate a little bit for both of us. Yes, I'm, I'm hoping so. So um, why don't we bring in one of the authors of the book, Love, Money, and Parenting, How Economics Explains the Way We Raise Our Kids. Um, we have Matthias Dupke, uh, one of the authors of the book, and um, he's, he's on the phone all the way from Spain. Matthias, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So uh, are you on sabbatical right now? I'm on sabbatical. Usually I work at Northwestern, close to you. Mm-hmm. This year, I'm on sabbatical in Spain, getting a bit of distance from the weather for once. Oh, God. Well, you picked a really great winter to be gone, Matthias. <laughs> this has been miserable. Right. I, I hear. In yeah. fact, my, my wife is back in Chicago right now. She has to do some work, so uh, I get daily reports of the, of the new weather over there. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, well, so, Matthias, we want to dive right into the sort of the, not the science, but the, the actual surgical look at our parenting. You explain... In the book that we have, we have now have economic inequality, and what does that mean in a big sense? So I think what it means for parents in particular is that inequality has gone up, specifically with regards to education. Now, if you think about what uh, people earn in the labor market, depending on what their education is, those gaps have gone up a lot. Now, nowadays, on average, uh, college graduates make about uh, twice as much. Uh, in a year as uh, people with a high school degree. It used to be a much smaller gap uh, in in earlier times. So what we're saying is that this particular aspect of inequality has really focused the uh, attention on school and really the the urge of parents to make sure their kids do as well as possible uh, in terms of education. So for in wealthier countries with a gap between like the high earning families and the low earning families has increased. And so you're most people would think that um, kids from high-earning families have an advantage. Can you explain how that impacts, like, the whole premise of your book is how the economy and uh, society impacts parenting style. So what, what, what did you learn from that research? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, we think that parents everywhere just really want the best for their children. And we all love our kids. We want them to do well. But what it means to do well really depends on the kind of society that you live in. And there's always competing things. You know, we talk about... Uh, that uh, you know, doing well in school is a good thing. It's a good thing if kids get A's in, uh, in school. There's uh, an upside to that. But there's also an upside to being just lazy and discovering your, uh, your own interests of being able to independently discover maybe new uh, passions uh, that a child might have. So there's really different things that are all uh, valuable in a different way. It's, it's a trade-off where you have to decide what do I want to emphasize as a parent. What we're saying is as economic inequality goes up over time, 
these issues having to do with economic success, with uh, getting education, with getting a good career, with getting a good job, those become more salient and become just more important to you. And so things that uh, maybe parents a few decades ago wouldn't have worried about so much all of a sudden become quite important. Well, you talked about the parenting style in the 60s and 70s and how we've changed so much. What, what was the style of parenting in the 60s and 70s? So my own experience was a parenting style that was a very, uh, what we now would call permissive, you know, in, in the psychological lingo. But it just means that kids had a lot more freedom uh, to, to be on their own. When I grew up, I was in Germany on the farm, but uh, it was really quite similar, I think, to the experience of many Americans. So back then, my, uh, my parents would uh, give us food. You know, they would uh, expect us to be home uh, at night. But uh, other than that, we would have a lot of freedom. You know, school was uh, done at 12 or 1. And from uh, you know, after lunch until nightfall, most of the time, I could do what I wanted. I could go to my friends, play soccer. There was uh, almost none of the organized activities you know, that, that you were talking about and that I'm also doing with my, with my own kids these days. What was also true is that my parents didn't really care all that much about school. They didn't really ask me that much about my grades. You know, so as long as I was not uh, at risk of being uh, uh, kicked back a grade, uh, it didn't really matter all that much how well I did. And, uh, and I think this is uh, uh, part of the picture that back then the stakes in education were much lower, and so it wasn't really as much on parents' mind as it is today. Would you call permissive parenting the same thing as free-range parenting? It's not really the same thing, but uh, it, uh, it has an overlap because permissive uh, means giving more uh, freedom of choice uh, to uh, to kids and, and certainly free range uh, parenting wants to do that too. I, I think the free range uh, movement, to some extent, is uh, uh, is a reaction to a very specific phenomena. So there's this notion that people have become overly protective of their children, you know, that we don't allow them to ride bikes, we uh, drop them off everywhere by car anymore, and they, they can't walk on their own uh, in the town. Uh, which is really something a bit more specific. But there's a lot of overlap, I think, between free-range parenting and this more uh, scientific concept of uh, permissive parenting. You argue that another factor that shapes parenting is how a country's education system is set up. So, you know, oftentimes you see the stories about how smart kids are in Sweden or Finland, like the education system is Mm -hmm. different other places. What incentives does the American education produce and how do those incentives compare to the other countries? So, you know, one thing that uh, I noticed very much compared to my my own experience uh, as a child is that the um, American education system is very hierarchical. there's There's a clear top. Uh, where you get an amazing education and there's a bottom where you don't. You know? And so exactly which school you go to and also which university you go to makes a big difference uh, for outcomes. You know, certainly it's true about schools. You know, when, you, when you ask uh, parents, why do you live in the town or the neighborhood that you live in, uh, in, in the United States, most parents uh, will tell you that they chose a particular place because the schools are good, because it's a good environment for, for kids to grow up in. in. In other countries, we have a much more uniform quality of school, uh, often just uh, almost everybody using public schools, which are more or less all the same. And so this, uh, this uh, notion of being in the right neighborhood doesn't even show up. It also goes on to university, you know, where in the United States, there's a huge variety of uh, quality of uh, uh, colleges from the Ivy League all the way down to, you know, for-profit schools with maybe somewhat uh, questionable credentials, whereas in other countries, there's much more uniformity. So when I was a kid in high school, I didn't really study hard. I studied uh, certainly less hard than my own kids do. And that was in part because uh, the stakes for getting to the right school weren't really there. So so it was a time 
where with a high school degree you could go to any university in my country. They were all about the same. So you didn't really worry about that next step. You just worried getting a high school degree, but everything else was left for later. Whereas here, you know, the, uh, the pressure to have kind of the right CV to uh, impress the admissions committee at your chosen college is, is really, I think, a lot higher for high school students. And that's the push. That that's the, when I when I read that, I was like, you, "That's so true." Because, you know, they're like, "Work hard, make your resume look really good to get into you know X, Y, or Z college because it's the best one." And so when you see how everything is, when you explain that everything in a lot of schools in Europe that everything is the same, um, and there there is no pressure like that, then it it takes that element out of it, out of the family dynamic. Right. And for me, it was really uh, the comparison of my own to my uh, childhood to, to that of my own children, because uh, before I had kids, I was expecting to be the same parent my parents were. You, you, I think you start out with the expectation that you will more or less do the same thing, assuming that you like your parents and you had a good experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I had kids in America, and all of a sudden, I find myself to be a much more intensive, much more of a helicopter parent than they were. You know? So just like you were saying, Tons of activities they're signed up for. You're much more anxious about them uh, keeping up in school. So it's, uh, it's really quite uh, different how I turned out compared to uh, what my parents were, even though they did a great job. You know, it's not like I'm thinking they did something wrong. It's just that we live in a different world now. And these things matter just a lot more. One of the other things you talk about, so when we talk about the inequality, um, you talk about certainly there's the, the financial inequality and, and what comes from parents who um, have more money and, and therefore can afford to pay for their kids to be involved in a bunch of things. But there's also the idea of parental education and the level of education parents have and how that affects children. Um, what have you found in that regard? So it's, uh, it's uh, certainly the case that uh, the education of, uh, of parents has, uh, has a direct impact on the child. And to some extent, it might just be uh, genes, but it's also, I think, just knowledge of how education works. You know, if, if both of your parents, uh, parents went to college, they know a lot more about what it takes to, uh, to study, to succeed in that college environment. They kind of know the ropes and they can help you uh, in that regard. And so it's always been true that uh, the uh, uh, children of the more educated or also the more wealthy uh, uh, get more education uh, on average. It's just that in this uh, recent phase of rising inequality, these gaps between those who already have the advantages and those who don't have grown a lot. If you look at the data, you see that the uh, parents who already are kind of high up in the distribution, they are the ones who have uh, increased the effort in pushing their kids ahead the most, you know, both in terms of spending more money, say, on uh, all, uh, all these uh, uh, extracurricular activities, but also on paying for private schools or maybe tutors. But also in terms of time, you also see that the more educated households are the ones who have increased the time they spend on uh, parenting the most. You know? And so, so these gaps that have always been there have just grown larger over time. Yeah, I was reading somewhere that in 2005, Dutch mothers spent four hours a week more on childcare than in 1975, and Dutch fathers spent right. three mm-hmm. hours more, and that in the U.S., the, where inequality has risen faster, both mothers and fathers were each spending six more hours a week with their kids than their parents did in 1975. Right. That's incredible. It's kind of a shocking number because it, it, it means we have really doubled the time that we spend on parenting, that we spend with the kids, even though we have fewer of them. You know, in the 70s, uh, typical families often had three or even four kids. Now it's uh, often one or two. So the uh, per-child attention is really uh, multiplied. You know, so it's, it's, it's a quite a dramatic shift that we have seen here. These poor children are in the spotlight. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is authorita- 
There was like I, I was doing the quiz, the authoritative and authoritarian. What mm-hmm. what are the differences? Yeah, so there's permissive parenting and then yes. permissive, authoritarian, and authoritative. What what's authoritarian? It's a somewhat unfortunate terminology because they almost sound the same. So they did. Uh, I had to do a double uh, take. <laughs> yes, I, th- I think we should come up with better words for those. But yeah. uh, that's maybe for the next. Uh, uh, for the next paper. But uh, essentially what it means is you know, when you think of the permissive that we talked about, the free-range type, uh, those are parents that, that, that uh, let their kids uh, discover things on their own. So, so they give a lot of freedom. And uh, both of these other types of parenting, the authoritarian and the authoritative, are uh, types of parenting where maybe you push more. Maybe you have more of a view of what the kids should be doing or uh, what the kids uh, should be learning. The difference between these two uh, more pushy types is uh, the methods by which you kind of get what you want. You know, so the authoritarian parenting is uh, the old style, you might call it con- uh, control and command, you know, where you uh, really expect obedience. You uh, just tell the kids what to do and you expect that they just follow instructions without really uh, being explained why. You know, so it's, uh, it's a really style of parenting that used to be, in fact, quite common. It used to be the most common parenting style. Uh, in earlier history. And it's often associated with corporal punishment where you just use maybe even violence to, uh, to get the kids to comply. The authoritative parenting style uh, also would be a case where the parent uh, has a view of what the child should be doing, but use a lot more persuasion, where there's uh, more of an emotional closeness between parent and child. And you try to explain to the kids why uh, what you think is right is really the right path to follow. So, uh, so an authoritarian parenting, the parent might just tell the kids, you know, do your homework or else something bad will happen to you. Whereas the authoritative parent might say, well, you know, think about your future, think about how important education is. So maybe you should understand that applying yourself in school is important. So it's more of an, you might say, uh, indoctrination approach to, uh, to getting the kids to do what you want. Okay. Which countries do does the authoritarian uh, style still um, happen in in some other countries out there? So you know, there's um, you know these are just really broad types. And if you think about your own parenting, I think I think every parent has a mix of all three. You now, because there's different uh, decisions that you take with your kids. And when, when I think about uh, my five year old kind of trying to run over the street with the cars are coming, of course I'm just going to grab and pull him back. You know, that's in a very authoritarian thing. You know, I'm not really explaining at that moment that it hurts to be hit by a car, you just, uh, you just uh, make sure this doesn't happen. Sure. And so, so there's always, I think, shades uh, of gray. Uh, if you look at uh, empirical measures of authoritarian parenting, you know, for example, people just reporting in a survey that they think obedience is the most important thing for kids to learn, uh, you still find many of those parents. It's just that over time, uh, the number of authoritarian uh, parents has gone down quite a bit. So it's really a parenting style that's in decline uh, around the world, but that's certainly still there. Okay. When I read um, a bit about Sweden, and there was an instance where a group of grown-ups, a kid told the group of grown-ups to shut up because he was watching TV, and the grown-ups left right. the room. Yes. Mm-hmm. So is Sweden more that was known? My co-author who had that experience. Oh, really? All right. So what, is that typical of Sweden? It's a, it's really a society where kids are very much uh, empowered. You know, so where uh, where uh, many parents feel not not all of them, but uh, much more certainly than in the United States that. Uh, that kids should not just be free to decide, but also uh, that parents uh, should respect those choices. You know? so, so like the example that you mentioned, where the kid was watching TV and said, adults, cut off here. And the adults would just say, well, apparently we have to go somewhere else. You know? Or oh you have a picnic, but the kids don't want to be there. And you, uh, and you just stop having the picnic. So it's, uh, it's giving a lot of power 
uh, to those kids. You know, but it, it really comes, I think, from this uh, uh, general attitude uh, in Sweden of uh, giving a lot of uh, room for kids to develop on their own. And you see it also in, uh, in the education. So, so one thing that's totally different is that there is not this stuff on uh, early literacy or um, you know, working with numbers in preschool. You know, when, uh, when, uh, when I go to uh, the preschool that our kids went to, you know, from age three, they tell you whether they're already able to write letters or can write their name at age four, you know, and uh, if they can't, my wife starts to get worried about this. Uh, in, uh, in Sweden, they don't do any of that, you know, so they just uh, think kids should be playing uh, freely and, and you leave all the uh, uh, letters and numbers until age seven when they actually enter first grade. Yes. So in uh, Sweden, the parents give their kids a lot of freedom and uh, respect uh, their choices. And when you say that, our jaws are actually on the desk because <laughs> it sounds so crazy to to let the kid tell the parents to shut up. Right. Yeah, that that's bizarre. So how how do we change the system to to make things more equal? I mean, you, the whole premise of the book is about the economic um, inequality. Right. Mm-hmm. So what what things do you suggest to mitigate so, that? So, so we, we really do think that parents are doing a great job, that parents love their kids, they're doing the best they can, given the circumstances they, uh, that they uh, face. And so they're telling parents to do something different in a, in a given world is not the right approach. What we do think is that if you change the environment that parents and their children face, then you can get real change. And so to start with, we say that inequality, that rising inequality is the root cause of this. So, of course, policies that push back against inequality directly Distribution would be helpful in principle. At the same time, those men would be the most realistic options because uh, you know higher taxes are not uh, popular, and it's uh, not so clear it's really a viable uh, way to go. But there's many other things you can think about. For example, if you think of the uh, uh, schooling system, you can think about more equal funding for for schools, get a more more even quality. Uh, one thing that I particularly care about is also thinking about what are the options for kids after they finish high school you know, in the United States right now. We are in a situation where uh, college is really the main path to uh, economic success. And there isn't really that many other good options uh, if you don't end up with a college degree. But, but today still about 60% of kids in every year don't actually end up with a college degree. And so the question is what happens to them. And so some options you can think of uh, for expanded access to things like vocational training, like apprenticeships that give you more than a single path to, uh, to success. And if you think of the very best colleges, you know, there's also just the uh, possibility of just having more slots available uh, uh, for students, for so having uh, more support for higher education, and maybe also uh, more slots for general applicants. And so one uh, small thing, but I think that still makes a difference, that will change, is uh, uh, stop this whole thing of legacy admissions at top colleges, which uh, really just make the bottleneck even more tight for everybody else. And what about, I think you guys mentioned early education. Uh, is that... Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think early education is uh, perhaps the most important thing if you think of this, uh, what we call the parenting gap. You know, there's this uh, observation of a widening uh, difference between what parents from different ends of the, of the uh, economic spectrum uh, can do. And that is because if you think about um, the, uh, the measured gaps in uh, school performance or test scores between uh, kids from richer and poorer families, you can see in the data that those really arise in the very early years. And we know also from, from research in psychology that the very early years, so from age uh, zero to age four roughly, is of uh, very important basic skills are, are formed. And it's not so much um, you know, reading and writing that comes later, but it's more uh, what we call non-cognitive skills. So things like patience, perseverance, diligence, you know, all of these things are 
formed very early. And, and we also know that uh, high-quality preschool programs are very effective at, at building those kind of skills. So if you want to push back against this parenting gap, then reinvesting in uh, preschool education would be, uh, the, I think, the most important measure. One last thing I was going to ask you. You talked about, you know, you're a parent as well. How are you handling the parenting? You know, Germany, you grew up in Germany. This is America. Are you surprised? I'm still surprised. It's different uh, even, uh, you know, from week to week. You know, so, for example, when we spent the summer in, uh, in, in Germany at my, at my parents' house, we let our kids uh, run free in the village because all the kids are free to walk to the grocery store and to the playground and do their own thing. And there's no problem, you know. And uh, when we come back to Evanston uh, near Chicago, then, then they can't do that because nobody else does. And you're kind of worried about the police picking them up. <laughs> so these differences are, are definitely still there and uh, very noticeable to us. Sure. Uh, that's an obvious one. Thank you so much. This uh, is really interesting, and it made me look at how all the different parenting styles maybe a little bit differently and look at it like systemically how it came to pass and how how I have grown to be the type of parent that I, that I am. <laughs> right, right. So, so Matthias Dupka, co-author of Love, Money, and Parenting, How Economics Explains the Way We Raise Our Kids. Um, it really does give us a little bit of an excuse, but maybe maybe now we should take some of our high-energy, high-octane parenting and focus on changing the system so that everybody has uh, equal access. That sounds like a great time. Thanks for having me on. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Okay, so Matthias's phone line was cutting out a little bit there, so we just kind of had to jump off. But um, I wanted to ask you, on his website at Northwestern, there is a link to a parenting quiz. And so we talked about, you know, there's permissive parenting, like the Swedes. There is authoritarian, um, which is, you know, the, the way people say children should be seen and not heard or they should be ob- obedient. And then there's authoritative, which is trying to get the same results as an authoritarian, but um, by understanding your child and working with your child. Uh-huh. Um, so this, I took it. Okay, so did I. What did you get? You're never going to believe it. What? I got per- permissive. That I literally, I, I was, <laughs> I was upstairs with Doug, and I was going through, and I had him take it too. I, fr- I forget what he answered. It was not the same. Um, which one of his authoritarian or what authoritative? Are they They're too close together. Yeah, I yeah, agree yeah. with Matthias. Matthias is too close. Um, it says a permissive parent attempts to behave in a non-punitive, acceptant, and affirmative manner towards the child's impulses, desires, and actions. She makes few demands. <laughs> she makes few demands for household responsibility and orderly behavior. She presents herself to the child as a resource for him to use as he wishes, but not as an ideal for him to emulate. Nor as an active agent responsible for shaping or altering his ongoing or future behavior. She allows the child to regulate his own activities as much as possible, avoids the exercise of control, and does not encourage him to obey externally defined standards. Does that sound like me? No, although you do, you do take care of all the things around the house. I, I do, but, but the thing is, is that when you took the quiz, were you like, oh, really? Those are the only four? So yeah. some of the answers were a little, like, I was like, oh, I don't know if I really agree with any of these, but I'll right. take this one. It's the lesser of all evils. Well, and so... My result was authoritative, of course, because, you know, I pretty much chose all the things that I thought were going to get me the best result. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a very good test taker. Yeah. <laughs> nice. No. But, you know, and they say authoritative is a parenting style characterized by high responsiveness and high demands. Authoritative parents are responsive to the child's emotional needs while having high standards. They set limits and are very consistent in enforcing boundaries. Well, that's that's kind of true. That's true. 
Um, I think that I'm probably more authoritarian than authoritative, but I try really hard to ask them how they feel when I'm telling them what to do. <laughs> nice. You take you seek their input, but then you say it doesn't matter. Suck it up. You're doing it anyway. Yeah, I I, I want them to think it was their choice. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Don't listen to this podcast, I kids. Yeah. They'll know that they can argue with you. I know exactly <laughs> right. Uh, so um, we'd love to hear if this new information changes the way you feel about yourself for overscheduling or for... Or helicoptering. For helicoptering. Yeah. Um, I feel better. I I do. I, I We're lucky because we can have our kids in activities and, uh, you know, our kid, my kids are in public school, your kids are in public school, but they're in schools that we are involved in and we... Uh, try to help make the schools the best schools possible. But when you look at the entire system, the inequality is... Yeah, we're a product of the United States. Right. So when you read those articles about the education system in Finland and and how smart the kids are and everything that he was talking about, that's in another country. So it it makes sense because they're, they live there and that's their society and the way their society works. Right. And we have to live in our environment. This is really heady stuff. It is. <laughs> Take a break. Um, all right. So check out our Facebook page or give us a call at 331-704-0046. Or you can email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look